This is Africa Digest. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. I am Spumela Lezondi and I'm with Asanda Matzaunyane. Usanda Matebula and Figile Lingwadim. Let's take a look at the top stories at 1700 hours Central African time. 23 military generals expected in Juba this morning. This coming Monday, rather, United Nations Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo has commended South Africa's initiative to prosecute members of its troops accused of misconduct. In economics, South Africa's Reserve Bank raises the repo rate. And in sports, South Africa rejects FIFA claims of World Cup bribe. Here's Asanda Matonyan. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Another South African cabinet minister has revealed that he was approached by the Gupta family. Mwago Ramatlodi says he received an invitation after he became mining minister. He has since been moved to another cabinet posting. Ramatlodi says he told the family he was not considering any invitations because his focus was to resolve a platinum strike. He says the influence of the Gupta family will be discussed at a meeting of the country's ruling party, the ANC, this weekend. Deputy Finance Minister Mkribisi Jonas started the run on the Guptas after claiming he was offered the finance portfolio last December. The government of Burundi regrets the decision taken by the European Union to suspend its direct support to the country, fearing that such a decision might result into an upsurge of terrorists and criminals who might think of a victory to them. At the same time, Burundian citizens are disappointed and call the EU to come to its decision. Bernard Bankukira reports. In the press statement read by Philip Nzobonariba, Cabinet Secretary and Spokesman, the government of Burundi says the European Union did not take into account improvements made in various domains, particularly in the realm of peace and security, inclusive dialogue and human rights. For him, the decision must be understood by those he calls terrorists as a reward to their misfortunes. For Mr. Nzobonariba, the government of Burundi will continue and without any constraints its mission of addressing political and security issues for the interests of the people of Burundi, taking into account national sovereignty, territorial integrity and good relations with its partners. The committee investigating the crash of a Russian airplane in the Sinai Peninsula last year says it is referring the case to Egypt's Attorney General. After receiving a report on the crash from Russia, which suspected criminal activity, the committee has decided to refer the case to the Attorney General, according to a statement it issued. Also in Egypt... The country has unearthed further evidence that a secret chamber, believed by some to be the lost burial site of Queen Nefertiti, may lie behind King Tutankhamun's tomb. There is huge international interest in Nefertiti, who died in the 14th century BC, and confirmation of her final resting place would be the most remarkable Egyptian archaeological find this century. A more advanced scan will be conducted at the end of this month. 
And finally, the president of Italy, Sergio Mattarella, is in Ethiopia for an official five-day visit. As part of his visit, he has met with the leadership of the African Union Commission, led by Chairperson Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma. Coletta Wanjohi has more. President Sergio Mattarella of Italy began his official trip in Ethiopia on 13th of March. He has already met with officials of the Ethiopian government. On Tuesday evening, he met the chairperson of the African Union Commission, Dr. Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, and discussed bilateral relationship between Africa and Italy in different sectors. President Mattarella explains the position of Italy in strengthening relationship with Africa. For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Mazzaunyani. Thank you very much, Asanda, for that news update. Your time is 17.05 Central African time. Let's start in South Sudan, where 23 military generals arrive in Juba on Monday from the Bush headquarters of South Sudan rebel leader Riek Mashar. Their arrival paves the way for the homecoming of Mashar after a two-year stay in the Bush north of Juba, where he commanded his loyal soldiers to fight government troops, James Shimanyula reports. After a two-year absence from home, South Sudan rebel leader Riek Machar is expected in the country's capital, Juba, before the end of this month to join his political and military rival, Salva Kiir, in the long-awaited formation of a transitional government of national unity in compliance with the peace agreement they signed in August last year. But before Riek Machar returns home, 23 of his military generals are to arrive in Juba this coming Monday to prepare his homecoming. The arrival of the generals in Juba has been confirmed by Riek Machar's new spokesman, Colonel William Gatjeth Deng. 23 generals will arrive in Juba on Monday morning to organize the coming of the first vice president of the Republic of South Sudan to Juba. And this is an indication that Australia is committed to implement the peace agreement, signed on 17 August 2015 by the two warring parties. The SPLMIO that Colonel William Gatjeth Deng is referring to is the acronym of South Sudan Liberation Movement in Opposition, the rebel group led by Riek Machar. The return of Riek Machar to Juba will also be preceded by the arrival there of his 3,000 soldiers and policemen. In addition to the troops to be based in Juba, a contingent of 1,200 soldiers will be deployed in Riek Machar's strongholds in the oil-producing towns of Bor, Malakal, and Bentube. Riek Machar's spokesman, William Gatjeth Deng, confirmed that Riek Machar's fighters will arrive in Juba with heavy military equipment. However, Colonel Deng emphasized that the arrival of the fighters in Juba is part of the mission for peace that is expected to prevail in South Sudan. We are not coming back to Juba to wage another war, but because we had experienced very serious lessons by the time, then we are going to Juba with all our equipment. Riek Machar's spokesman, Colonel William Gatjeth Deng, hinted that the rebel leader may arrive in Juba on the 28th of this month. I think after they arrive and our troops are transported, maybe the chairman will be there in Juba. 
That was William Gatti Jethden, spokesman for South Sudan rebel leader Riek Machar. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The United Nations mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo has commended South Africa's initiative to prosecute members of its troops accused of misconduct within the mission. 32 people of the South African contingent deployed in the Democratic Republic of Congo have been facing hearings by a mobile South African military court. Jean-Noël Bamwenze reports from Kinshasa. The mobile court consisted of a judge, a lawyer, a prosecutor and a clerk has already spent a week here and conducted hearings in North Kivu since seven of the 32 allegations are about that province. Those members of the South African troops deployed in that part of the DRC are accused of different kinds of misconduct. The process is moving well and the UN mission here has commended the South African government for such an initiative supporting zero tolerance within MONUSCO. Felix Bass is the UN mission spokesperson here. These proceedings are an initiative from the South African Republic to come here and proceed those who have been accused of different misconduct. The hearings took place. It went well and I believe it's a good initiative because we need to recall that uh, the UN is fighting against any kind of uh, allegations, any kind of misconduct. Uh, I believe it's a good thing to come here, have the hearings take place where the things have been committed and also to provide to the victims a very equal, transparent hearings. And I can say that uh, we are also encouraging other troop-contributing countries to take uh, the same step forward like the South Africans. This is not the first time for South Africa to prosecute some of the members of its contingent deployed here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. South Africa initiated such proceedings in 2001 and according to the UN mission here, the mobile courts it sent here represented an important tool in the fight against impunity. And since then, hearings have been conducted in different areas of the DRC whenever a South African troop is accused of any kind of misconduct. Once more, Monusco spokesperson explains. Felix Bass. The hearings took place uh, in Kindu, in Bukavu, in Goma in 2014. So this is not just the first time that this kind of hearings uh, have been taking place in the DRC. Just to mention that South African authorities are determined to fight against this misconduct. This is why these hearings took place in North Kivu this time. It's a matter of misconduct in general because we are talking about troops. Sometimes they can violate curfew. Sometimes they can get out without any permission. And this time, one case of sexual exploitation was alleged and it has been fired and uh, the case was dismissed. But uh, other uh, issues were raised during these uh, hearings. We tried a comment from the mobile South African military court, but we didn't succeed. The court is expected to go back to South Africa next week. Jean-Noël Bamwezi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. 
South Africa's biggest consumer exhibition, The Rancho, looks to set to become the entertainment destination of choice this Easter. The annual show, which will run from the 25th of March to the 3rd of April, takes place at the Johannesburg Expo Center in Nasrak. It is crammed with lifestyle exhibits, shopping, as well as top-class lineup for entertainment. More on what's on board for this year from Johannesburg Expo Center Chief Executive Officer Craig Newman. As usual, lots of excitement around the Rancho 2016, as you can see. Um, we're sticking to our focus, which is a good, great, wholesome family fun day out for the entire family, from toddlers to granddad, grandma. Everything on the program is set for them. The theme this year is edutainment. So every exhibitor and every bit of entertainment is around entertaining and educating at the same time. And what would you say are some of the main attractions for this year? Well, we brought in a couple of new attractions. So on the last weekend, we've got the whole um, cowboy experience, horses, uh, rodeo experience, and that's going to be good. And that's also going to be interactive for people to be able to participate in that as well. Um, we have got a big focus on the science and tech hall. We're bringing out two more new scientists besides the naked scientists. We've got the Kalahari scientists and we've got the wacky scientists. And all of this is in tune with our our theme with regards to entertaining but educating at the same time. And then Obviously, the big attraction year in, year out is over the opening weekend, the SANDF military capability display. Something not to be missed. Be at 10 o'clock, first thing on, on, on the opening weekend, and you're not going to miss that um, capability display. That is Craig Newman, Chief Executive Officer at the Johannesburg Expo Center, speaking to Ntlantla Masangu. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa, P.O. Box 91313, Oakland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also send us SMS to plus 27-82-332-5905. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You still listen to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomele Lezondi, and I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African time this evening. And remember that you can find us on social media. We are on channel africa one that is channel africa one on social media on twitter rather and on email you can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za that is info at channelafrica.co.za now the south african reserve bank governor lisija kanyaho has announced that the monetary policy committee had to had decided to again hike rates this takes the prime lending rate to 10.5 percent up from a 10.25%. The Reserve Bank has raised rates by 
0.75% since November. Chief Economist at the Efficient Group, David Ruot, joins us on the line. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa. Good afternoon to you and thank you. Mm. Uh, David, this was sort of expected, wasn't it? Well, yeah, pretty much. A couple of economists expected the Reserve Bank to keep interest rates unchanged. But, uh, yes, um, I pretty much expected the Reserve Bank to increase interest rates by, especially 25 basis points. And I guess there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that the Reserve Bank is really in a very tight spot at the moment because uh, inflation is becoming a real problem in the country and inflation is likely to continue to be a problem. Uh, while on the other end, we have economic growth, as we all know, that is really under pressure. And, the, and the, these two different variables are asking for different actions by the Reserve Bank. We need to increase interest rates on the one hand, or we actually have to cut interest rates on the other hand. So the Reserve Bank, I think, followed more or less a middle-of-the-road kind of approach by increasing interest rates by 25 basis points. So, so yes, pretty much expected, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that Moody's is in the country. How much of that uh, affected this? That's a very interesting question, because uh, theoretically the Reserve Bank shouldn't consider you know, anybody writing agencies visiting South Africa. That should not play a role, and I don't think it really did play a role. But the fact that the Reserve Bank increased interest rates while Moody's is, uh, is more good news than bad news. And the reason why I say so is because we know of all this political shenanigans going on at the moment, and it's important for the Reserve Bank to really show that they are independent and that they, are, they will take the necessary steps to make sure that inflation uh, stays in check. And by increasing interest rates while, while the guys are in the country, I think was, was the right move. And not that I think they did that because Moody's is here, but I think coincidentally uh, it's pro- probably more good news than bad news that they've decided to do it now while Moody's is in South Africa. As the governor did say that the consumption expenditure by households um, increased in the final quarter of 2015, that didn't help though, did it? Certainly not. In fact, we as a country, we consume, we consume far too much. You know, you don't need to stimulate the South African economy to consume more because we are very good at consumption. But we are not very good at the production. And you can simply see that. But looking at South Africa's current account deficit, the difference between our imports and our exports, and we import far more than what we export. So, you know, I know some analysts or some, uh, some uh, institutions are complaining that we need more demand in the economy to stimulate the economy and interest rates are going to be bad for demand. That may be so, but demand is not the issue. We have plenty of demand in the economy. What we need is, like, is a little bit more production. Mm. Um, going ahead this year, what are we likely to see? Are we likely to see them increase again? Well, I would say so, but it really depends on a number of variables. And a very important variable certainly is the exchange rate of the currency rand. Now, and that is determined by many other factors, like, for example, political stability and clarity on what's been happening on, on the political front. Um, at the moment, the rand is very weak, and I will not be surprised if the rand come back a little bit, depending, of course, what happens to politics. Uh, that should happen if the rand comes back. It will probably be too late, because the effect of inflation is already in the, in, the, in the structures of the economy, and I think we're going to see inflationary pressures building up over the next couple of months, and that simply means that the Reserve Bank will probably have to increase interest rates again. Mm. But having said that, yeah. I, don't think we're going to see, we, I don't think we're going to see very high levels of interest rates. So although a further increase or maybe two further increases is possible, do not, don't, don't, don't think we're going to see interest rates where they were at the end of the 90s. That's unlikely to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Davi, he did say that the rent has strengthened somewhat um, since December, though. Yeah, but, you know, that's on averages. The rent, you know, when you talk about the rent shooting out to 18 rand and coming back to 16 rand two or a week or two, three later, that's, although it's strengthening, it's, it's such a quick move in the currency 
uh, does not really start impacting on the economy that much. It's when the currency weakens and stays weak. That's the thing that needs to go to, that really needs to um, uh, uh, consider us. And, and what we have seen is that rand depreciated, well, I would use the word dramatically last year. And when it is at the moment around about 16, 15, 16, round about there, even if it goes down to, say, 14 and a half or so, that's still a very, very weak currency and it will still add to the inflationary pressures in the economy. Mm. And in South Africa, we are still concerned about weak growth outlook. Yeah, we certainly are concerned about the weak growth outlook, but it's not the Reserve Bank's responsibility to grow the economy. It's the real, it's a private sector, it's the real economy that needs to grow, and, you, and the Reserve Bank has been doing what they can to support this economy. The Reserve Bank, even with this last increase in interest rates, interest rates are still very low in South Africa. In fact, it's quite possible that inflation may actually exceed the interest rate level pretty soon. What does this all mean for the consumer and for the ordinary man on the streets, though, Davi? Well, what it means for you and what it means for me is that if you owe money on your house or in your car or whatever the case might be, you're going to pay more for that. Not much, but you are going to pay more. But fortunately, people that are dependent on interest income, especially the elderly, they're also going to get a little bit more. All right, David Roth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. David Roth is, is the chief economist rather, at the Efficient Group. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You can send us SMS as we are on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That is plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's where you can give us a feedback on any of our contents right here on Channel Africa. You can also suggest a few stories that you think we should be covering and a few issues that you think we should be discussing right here on Channel Africa. If you don't like sending SMSs, then you can find us an email. That is info at channelafrica.co.za info at channelafrica.co.za We are on Twitter as well. Channel Africa 1 over there. It's Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Now, staying with economic matters and matters to do with South Africa, officials from the Moody's Ratings Agency are in South Africa to investigate whether to downgrade the country's credit rating. The rating agency will, during its visit, assess the extent to which government policy can 
stabilize the economy. They're also expected to meet up with top officials at National Treasury and in other financial institutions. Moody's visit also comes as the finance minister is embroiled in a spat with the country's investigative unit, the Hawks. In February, the Hawks sent Minister Pravin Gordon 27 questions relating to an alleged rogue unit that operated during his tenure at the South African Revenue Service, SARS. More from Econometrics ex- economist Dr. Azar Jamin. There's a high probability of a downgrade, but I wouldn't say that it's totally inevitable because the situation politically is quite fluid and you could suddenly find changes that actually uh, improve the possibility of a ratings uh, not being downgraded. And here specifically, I'm thinking of you know, a lot of the problems that we are facing at the moment are frequently attributed to uh, President Zuma. And, uh, you know, if he were to suddenly resign or be asked to stand down, uh, you could suddenly see a change in the mood and uh, 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 growth in confidence that, in fact, the National Treasury might be able to do its job properly, and the officials of National Treasury, certainly the Minister and the Deputy Minister, have uh, shown themselves to be very astute, and this is likely to give confidence to the uh, ratings agencies in an unconstrained environment where they are not worried about whether or not Treasury does have the support of the Cabinet, uh, which is the case right now. Does the fact that there's an investigation by the Hawks against Finance Minister carry any weight, you know, does it have implications? Yes, of course, uh, that uh, the whole Hawks investigation thing carries weight, uh, but uh, it carries weight in a perverse kind of way. Uh, The ratings agencies would see action against the Minister of Finance as indicating the fact that there are others who are trying to oust him uh, in order for the simple reason that he is acting to prevent them from benefiting uh, from uh, certain uh, deals and that, that kind of thing. So, uh, yes, uh, it is, and that's what I mean by it being a very fluid situation. Uh, it can go either way, uh, both either positively or negatively, depending on what happens on the political front. If Moody's does downgrade South Africa, it would not necessarily take it to junk status. But two other rating agencies, Fitch and Standard Poor's, are expected to conduct their own reviews of the country's economic status in June. Um, What does this mean for South Africa? Well, clearly um, it doesn't influence the situation positively if uh, the country's rating is downgraded, no matter whether it's to junk status or not. It still acts as a disincentive for foreigners to by South African government bonds, which in turn tends to push up uh, local interest rates. Uh, However, it is important to state that the really, uh, the the difference between junk status and uh, non-junk status is that uh, with junk status, certain pension funds and some investors are by law not allowed to invest in South African government bonds. And so the impact of moving to this junk status or sub-investment grade can be slightly more uh, negative than uh, an ordinary downgrade from one, you know, from so many notches to uh, so many notches minus one 
so to speak. Now, with everything that's currently going on in the countries, you know, with the Gupta family having promised people jobs, how then does the country go forward in restoring investor confidence? Well, the Ministry of Finance certainly has tried to uh, do something about it by going on these roadshows in the last few weeks and by interacting very actively with uh, members of the private sector, including myself, to try and uh, find what would actually work and what wouldn't. Uh, It is difficult, however, also because many of the recommendations that are made by the business community and the investor public do not coincide with the desires of trade unions and uh, some of the more populist elements in society. So it is very difficult to forge a unified approach. But attempts have been made to try and do this. Um, I I think uh, one would also have to wait to see a complete change in leadership of the country before uh, confidence would be restored. And then one would also need to see whether the changes that have been uh, uh, that under a new leadership are actually what uh, the what the markets have called for. Dr. Azar Jamin is an economist. He is with the group Econometrics and he was talking to Ntlantla Matlangu. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station. Since 1966, send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa, P.O. Box 91313, Oakland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also send us SMS to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Seventeen thirty Central African time. Here's Asanda Matonyane with your news headlines. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Another South African cabinet minister reveals that he was approached by the Gupta family. The government of Burundi regrets the decision taken by the European Union to suspend its direct support to the country. And the committee investigating the crash of a Russian airplane in the Sinai Peninsula will refer the case to Egypt's Attorney General. Those are your news headlines here on Channel Africa.
Thank you very much, Asanda. The South African Broadcasting Corporation, in partnership with Trekker, has developed an initiative which seeks to develop a new breed of young men. The Men in the Making initiative is a call to action to the nation to also consider the boy child as equally important to nurture and protect as the girl child. The initiative aims to inspire high school-going boys from grade 9 to 12 to work hard at school and set positive goals for themselves by introducing them to leading South African companies in the fields in which they may one day wish to work. Zikonamiso spoke to Patrick Tebejane, communications officer for the Boxburg Correctional Officer Salman Saliman, a grade 9 pupil at a Greenside High School in Johannesburg, and Saleh Mutueni, SABC's Group Executive Officer of Corporate Affairs. This initiative started in 2009, where as the SABC we felt it prudent that we need to embrace our young men. Boys often neglected. As a parent, when my daughter is out late at night, I stress and worry. Mm-hmm. But if it's my son, I say, oh, he's a man, he can take care of himself. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that attitude and vulnerability that we give to our young people that makes them not to be available for Uh protection or we we expose them to influences that they shouldn't be exposed to. As the SAPC in 2009, we felt that it's it's equally important that we also call to action companies that must expose young boys of school-going age to careers and work opportunities Mm. beyond them being told that you are a man of the house, you Uh have grown a beard, you must man up, Mm. you are not allowed to cry because you are a man. We are saying, young men, your turn is now. Mm-hmm. As a, We've opened our doors, we've opened our airwaves for people who are willing to assist young men that have gone off track. Hence our partnership with Tracker, mm-hmm. hence our partnership with the Department of Correctional Services, uh, Boxback Prison. Mm. Now to date, um, uh, you started off with uh, 35 uh, companies you know, that were part of this whole initiative, but that number has grown exponentially to 140 at this stage. Uh, tell us about um, how uh, you've generated that interest uh, from these businesses or these companies that want to be part of this uh, very important initiative. When we launched, we invited various uh, business partners to the SAPC and that of our co-partner, Trekker, and the Department of Basic Education to say, please open up your doors Mm -hmm. and give these young men an opportunity to come and visit you for a day so that they know what is going on. We know that uh, with the education system in South Africa, young men need to have their subject choices when Mm -hmm. they're in grade 10. And you find that by the time they're in matric, some of them would have chosen a subject based on what friends were choosing at the time, Mm, not mm. because of a career that they wanted to have after matric. We then felt it is very important then that we also expose them to working environments. The government of South Africa is currently calling young people to take initiatives in becoming artisans. Not all of us can become engineers. Not all of us can become doctors. We need plumbers. We need welders. We need electricians. All those people come from these young people. Mm-hmm. We are then saying, even as, as companies, when we put out advertisements for plumbers, electricians, the turnout and, or the response is very low mm-hmm. because everyone wants to be a manager. Let me bring Patrick in here now, uh, Sully. Patrick, you are from a department that really deals with uh, boys, you know, whose lives have almost gone astray, you know, lack of a better term. But um, how important then does it become for the Correctional uh, Services Department to be part of this initiative? It's quite important that we we get involved in such initiatives. And when uh, Ms. Mutweni, you know, pitched 
the idea to us. We, we just fell in love with it because we've noticed that this correctional services, like we indicated, we are at the receiving end of what can go wrong yeah. within the society. Mm. So if these boys falter or default or misbehave, they end up in our facilities, of which some of them are still too young to be in that kind of environment where it's enclosed. You know, young people associated with freedom, free minds, free spirited. Now, correctional facility is a very enclosed and a strictly controlled environment. Yeah. So which becomes a problem. But now we said we need to get involved with the root cause of that. We cannot just be in the receiving, trying to change their offending behavior. Once and then, already happened. We have boys who are willing to be examples mm. in the society. How can we help them? Now, with this partnership, I believe that it's, it's going to grow from strength to strength. And as a department, we say as well, corrections, it's a societal responsibility. It's not our responsibility as a department, but the whole society needs in general needs of, to be part of yeah. it. Now, I'd like to bring in uh, Salman. Salman, you are in grade nine. Tell me about the subjects that you're doing, number one, and really what you're interested in becoming later on in life. Well, the subjects I'm planning to choose for next mm. year is accounting, physical sciences in IT, mm -hmm. and I hope to become either a chartered accountant or an engineer. Mm, that's fantastic. Now, how has this um, initiative uh, um, assisted you in terms of that um, end goal that you have at this time? Well, it's taught me a lot about leadership and what it means to have a positive attitude in what you do. If, if I have a posit positive attitude towards my job, then... Mm. Then I think I'll do better. a good job, yeah. Mm. Now, there's been a lot of focus on the girl child, Salman, and as a young boy yourself, you know, this is something that is fresh, something that is new, that there's this focus on young men. Yes. How important do you think it is, you know, as a young person, to have that um, a focus also on young men to assist them and to nurture them for that future? I, th I think it's very important because, well, we also need guidance and mm -hmm. we also need help to help us make our choices and our decisions. Mm. What have been some of your highlights, just very briefly before we let you go, in the initiative? Like, uh, What have been some of your main highlights in terms of um, the guidance that you've been receiving? They talked a lot about leadership and mm. how to have those qualities. And they also talked about things like IT... While it was widely expected that globalization would reduce inequality, income disparities between skilled and unskilled workers has only increased in recent years. Nobel laureate and Eric Maskin explains why the global markets have not offered better economic opportunities for the world's poorest. There are several reasons. Uh, first, there's a moral argument which says that, that huge differences between people are simply not acceptable from the standpoint of a moral philosophy which believes in equal treatment of people. That isn't to say that everyone has to have exactly the same income, but huge differences are difficult to accept as somehow right. But I, th I think there's a much more practical reason for worrying about inequality, which is that there's a high correlation between inequality and social unrest and political unrest. And so even if a country has no moral qualms whatsoever about the inequalities in its population, it's going to have to worry about inequality if it wants to keep the country together. Yes, so political stability is a factor as well. 
Is it harder to address inequality in developing countries than it would be in wealthier countries? I don't know. It's a challenge in both, let's put it that way. Rich countries, by definition, have more resources, and so perhaps rich countries can act faster on these questions. But it's true, uh, sadly, that inequality is a widespread phenomenon, and which uh, affects rich countries and poor countries alike. And how does globalization play out in this? Has it uh, helped reduce income disparities at all? Globalization, although it's had many positive effects for poor countries, has also had the negative effect of increasing inequality. And the, the reason why globalization has tended to increase inequality is because it has given opportunities, employment opportunities, to people who have some skills to offer the global labor market, but it has left behind people without such skills. So when globalization occurs, there are now many jobs that didn't exist before. International companies start hiring Chinese workers or Indian workers. Uh, and that's very good for those workers who have at least some modest skills. Perhaps they, they speak English or perhaps they have a, a little bit of schooling. The hundreds of millions of people who don't have those skills have been virtually unaffected by globalization. So the moderately skilled people see their wages rise and the people without skills see their wages stagnate inequality increases. So based on what you're saying, it would seem the logical solution would be for private industry to start training their workers, no? There's not likely to be enough of that kind of training on its own because if, if you train me so that I, I can perform at a higher level, you're then going to have to pay me more. And furthermore, once you've trained me, I can go to work for someone else. I don't have to work with you. So your investment in my skills is, has been lost. Uh, and that's why inequality is not a problem that is going to go away by itself. If it could be solved simply by companies training workers to do the job, then there would be no need for government policy. The, the problem would, uh, would be solved in the, purely in the private sector. But because companies don't have sufficient incentive to do that training because their, their investments might be lost, there has to be someone else stepping in to deal with the inequality problem. But when it comes to training, what about the argument that with globalization and global value chains, countries that are good uh, at, uh, for example, producing rice uh, should focus on that and not worry about you know, expanding and trying to produce computers, for example. There, there are other countries that produce computers and that will you know, that will need rice. Wouldn't those trade relationships help address inequality? What you've just described is the traditional theory of comparative advantage, which says that countries should specialize in producing the sorts of goods that their labor force 
is especially well suited for. So if, if you're in a poor country with a lot of unskilled workers, you should specialize in rice or, or some other good which doesn't require much skill. If you thought that theory was all you needed, then we should have seen a decrease in inequality with globalization because a rice-producing country could specialize more in producing rice and that would be very good for low-skill workers because they would be in higher demand and inequality would fall in that country. But that's not what, what has happened in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, yes, inequality has fallen in, in some poor countries, but in many poor countries, inequality has actually risen. Look at China, for example. China has grown enormously, but it's not by producing traditional Chinese products. Quite the contrary. China has got rich by being part of the production process for Western goods, assembling computers, all sorts of goods which are largely consumed in the West. So the, the workers assembling those computers do have some skills, but uh, these are not... Uh, rice-producing skills, they are computer-producing skills. And so the, the traditional logic, the logic of comparative advantage, is not the logic that made China what it is today. That is Eric Maskin, professor at Harvard University and 2007 Nobel laureate. He was speaking to Bruce Edwards from the International Monetary Fund. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa, P.O. Box 91313, Oakland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also send us SMS to plus 27 Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We send the in studio with your economic news.
Good evening. Thanks, as Pumilele. South African Reserve Bank Governor Lesetje Khanyako has announced another quarter of a percentage point repo rate increase. The rate increases to 7%, meaning that the price of a prime lending rate increases to 10.5%. Khanyako has cited an easing in the rate of increase in inflation as a result of recent interest rate hikes for the moderate hike. He says inflation is expected to remain above the 3 to 6% inflation target this year. Hanya Jose said the global economic environment remains difficult. Given the upside risk to the inflation forecast and the protracted period of the expected breach, the MPC decided that further tightening was required to complement the previous moves. Accordingly, the MPC decided to increase the repurchase rate by 25 basis points to 7% per annum effective from the 18th of March 2016. Three members of the MPC favored a 25 basis point increase, while three members preferred no change. Ultimately, the committee decided on an increase of 25 basis points. Kenya's capital markets regulator has published new regulations requiring stock and fixed income brokers to report suspicious trades and transactions above 10,000 US dollars to a government body set up to fight money laundering. Kenya has the most active capital market in East Africa. It has gained a broader appeal in sub-Saharan Africa as other previously popular investment destinations such as Nigeria and South Africa have been battered by plunging commodity prices. Kenya has an ambition towards becoming an international financial center. Aligo Dangote, Africa's richest man, has teamed up with two Nigerian states to bid for a majority stake in Pejo Automobile Nigeria. The states of Kaduna and Kebi, along with development lender Bank of Industry and Dangote, had submitted a bid for the stake, which a Nigeria state-backed bank, Emcon, is looking to sell. The billionaire's Dangote Group is active in cement, oil, food and sugar businesses and is also expanding into farming. Only four in ten Africans enjoy reliable power supply. That's according to findings from the Pan-African Research Network, Afrobarometer. The research group says their perceptions that Africa is a dark continent. It's one of the barriers to economic growth. Project manager of Afrobarometer in East Africa, Abel Oyuke. You realize that there are a few countries, especially Northern Africa, that have actually done pretty well. But if you look at other countries, especially Eastern Africa and some parts of West Africa, the coverage, the grid coverage of this particular uh, electrification process is still quite low. For instance, we have a near universal coverage for areas like Mauritius, Egypt, you know. But then if you go down like countries like Burundi with up just about 17% coverage, that is still a concern. And finally, South Africa's Cape Town International Airport has been voted as the best airport in Africa at the Skytrax World Airport Awards in Germany. The award follows a survey that uh, polled 550 airports around the world between June last year and February this year. Cape Town's airport staff was also voted as the best on the continent. And that's your economics news for now. Thank you very much, Sunny. It's time for sports news. Yes, Fregile.
In our sports update this hour, we're kicking off with football news. South African Minister of Sports and Recreation, Figide Mbaluda, has maintained his earlier stance that the bidding for the 2010 FIFA World Cup was above board and South Africa has nothing to answer. Mbalula says FIFA have released a statement saying they are not accusing South Africa of bribery and that they were just quoting the U.S. indictment in their court papers where they are seeking restitution. What is important before us is what do we know and what can we defend? And we are ready and willing to collaborate and to explain to anybody how that 10 million uh, was actually arrived at and uh, where was the decision basically taken. So we are ready with that uh, and, and basically we are handling that particular issue. What we don't want is for anybody unilaterally when we wake up and say that South Africa bribed. Because we dismiss that with the contempt that, is actually, that it actually deserves. We didn't bribe anybody. Why would you bribe somebody and basically process the money through the, through, 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 through the banks? Because you bribe and you put the money in your bag and then you run with it. Either it comes as a brown envelope, black bag or whatever, or a briefcase. It's a bribe. That's how it operates. In this instance, it was a board. Mbalula says FIFA have not accused the country of paying a bribe, but the media have misinterpreted, misinterpreted the FIFA statement this week where they quoted the U.S. indictments. It says those indictments are also just investigations currently and not facts that the courts will decide on. It doesn't say it is not FIFA. It is quoting what is in the indictment in the United States. FIFA doesn't say that. The mistake what we make, the restitution that is lodged by FIFA is based on the indictment of the United States of America. Let's not make a mistake to say that that restitution means that is what FIFA says. Their own restitution and the claiming and recovering their own resources is based on that indictment. And the Americans are basing what they say on their own investigation. You can be investigated and it be said that you are accused with money laundering and racketeering, but it does not mean that you are guilty. Because the presumption and the courts operate in their own special way because you've got to be in court to justify or not to justify or to be found guilty. In Olympics, Brazil passed key anti-doping legislation that avoided the embarrassing possibility of the country being in breach of the rules at its own Olympic Games on Thursday afternoon. The legislation was officially confirmed in the government's official gazette one day before the deadline set by the World Anti-Doping Agency Authority. The decree creates one tribunal for doping cases across all sports, as WADA demanded in November when it named Brazil one of the countries not in compliance with its guidelines. Until now, state and national courts heard until doping cases. Rio de Janeiro will host South America's first Olympic Games in August. On to cricket news with one day to go before South Africa's opening match in the World 2020, Captain Fav du Plessis is ready to capitalize on the effects of England's defeat by West Indies. Duplessis, the South Africa's captain, says he will feel under pressure after Chris Gale smashed a 47-ball unbeaten 100 as West Indies thumped England by six wickets in the Group 1 game on Wednesday. Gale made a mockery of England's total of 182 for six as the batsmen blasted 11 sixes and helped West Indies reach its target with 11 balls to spare for the loss of four wickets. South Africa had a perfect build-up to the tournament when they beat England 2-0 in the T20 series at home last month and it also enjoys a 4-1 lead in head-to-head against their rivals in World T20 tournaments. 
and South Africa will still be searching for its first major title in world cricket was third in 2009. And that's your sport news this hour. This is Africa Digest. Let's look about some stories at 1755. 23 military generals expected in Juba on Monday. United Nations Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo has commended South Africa's initiative to prosecute members of its troops accused of misconduct. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spumelele Zondi, producer Luanda Maome, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, plus 27796957930. Plus 27796957930. You can tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with You Make My Heart Go by Malay.